Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're in the middle brachot of the Amidah, and just to review where we are, so we're now transitioning in the middle brachot. So we had the first six, which we called the first three and the second three. And um, the first six, although everything is phrased in the plural in our request in the Amidah, um, the first six we can see as sort of more individual, the prayers of the individual. The first three are the mental spiritual ones, Da'at, Teshuva, and Salicha, Wisdom, uh, Repentance, and forgiveness or reconciliation. So that was, that was blessings number four, five, six. Then seven, eight, nine was, um, rescue, healing, and the economy. Rescue, healing, and making a living. I can't think of one, one simple word for making a living. Uh, if anyone has an English title of it in their CD or just. Well, I want an I want an English word. I want an English. Okay, got it. A one word English word that corresponds to Parnassah, which I can't think of. By the way, for the Hebrew speakers, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. For the Hebrew speakers, my word of the day that I just learned yesterday, Hasgavra. It's a portmanteau of Hasbara and Gever, and it means mansplaining. Hasgavra. Of which there's a lot going on in the Knesset now because there are more women in the Knesset than ever before. That was the context that I read it. Anyway, so now we come. So the next batch, I, I don't want to say they're in groups of three now because it's a l- not as clear. But the next batch clearly is more communal, whereas the first batch of six, we could have said those are really more prayers for individual, the individual needs. Um, most of the next of the rest ones are really by definition communal. So there's kind of a shift and I don't want to claim that they fall into two groups of three because I'm not sure they do, but we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about a group of three today. So that, that, uh, that sustenance says Meyer for Parnassah. Okay, good. I like that. Thank you. Um, um, so I'm, we're going to talk about three today, but I'm not claiming that they're a group of three as separate from what we're going to talk about next week. So we are in the Slim Shalom on page 39 in the middle and in the Sim Shalom on page 112 in the middle. Zakab B'Shofar Gadol. Okay. This bracha is called, uh, the sages call it, Kibbutz Galuyot, ingathering of the exiles. Zakab B'Shofar Gadol Cherutenu. Sound the great sho- a great shofar of our freedom, meaning the great shofar signifying our freedom. Visa nes lekabetz galuyotenu. Nes, we're used to the word. The common meaning is miracle, but nes also means a standard, like a flag or a banner that you hold up on a pole which says like, you know, this is our marching division in the parade, or this is our troop in the army. Okay. So that's what a, that's a second meaning of the word nace, 
It's not a midrashic meaning. It's a simple biblical Hebrew meaning. It means a standard, like a, a banner that you hold up. Okay? So, and raise up the banner to gather our exiles. So this is based on uh, passages in the prophets. I can't think of which one right now that say when Hashem gathers the Jewish exiles at the end of time and brings them back to Israel, Hashem will raise a standard, which is a way of saying, here we are, here's our group, exiles, we're marching back, come join me. The the whole purpose of the standard, right, is that it's higher up than eye level, so everyone can see it, so everyone knows where to go, okay? Just like, you know, if you are marching in the, I don't know, some parade or uh, what do we do? Well, uh, uh, the Jewish World Watch walk every April. You know, you're looking for your group. Where's your group? And, you know, it's much easier instead of looking for faces, trying to spot spa- faces in a crowd, if you're looking for the banner, right? The banner helps you identify the group gathering. That's what the, that's the idea of this in the prophets, that when the, in, the exiles are ingathered, a nace will be raised up, a standard, so that people will know, okay, we're supposed to go over here and follow this person back to Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so that's from the prophets. That's what the standard means. So I'm just going to say it again. Sound a great shofar of our freedom and raise a standard to gather our exiles. And gather us from the four corners of the world. Baruch Hashem, Mekabetz, Nidche, Amo Yisrael who gathers the far-off ones of his people Israel, right? So this is a pretty, conceptually, it's a pretty straightforward bracha in terms of its meaning. It's pretty straightforwardly based on biblical ideas in the prophets. Remember, the various prophets prophesied, although at various times over a few hundred years, they all, they, they prof, many of them prophesied, when there had already been exiles. So some of the prophets prophesied after the northern kingdom was exiled, the 10, quote-unquote, 10 lost tribes, and they talked about them being gathered back from Assyria and the places where they had gone far away. Then there were other prophets who prophesied after the destruction of the temple, right, Uh, when the southern kingdom was also exiled. So the prophets lived through exiles or after exiles, and this was part of sort of classic uh, late first temple, early second temple Jewish theology in the Bible that the exiles are going to be gathered in, in some future time. Um, And it becomes part of straight ahead classic Jewish theology. Um, Not surprisingly, this paragraph troubled the reform movement um, in Germany in the 19th century and in America in the 20th century. And many reforms, Sidurim, left out or totally changed um, uh, this um, uh, this blessing because in an ideology where um, as part of being loyal, emancipated citizens to your country, you gave up the idea that there would ever be a restoration to Israel. Uh, um, you know, it's a famous reform uh, 
sermon, I can't remember where, Hamburg or Jerusalem from the 18-something or others, where it said, Hamburg is our Jerusalem, Berlin is our Jerusalem. That's Mm -hmm. why the reform movement called their synagogues temples, right? Because the idea was it replaced the temple. We no longer long to go back to Israel and build the temple, rebuild the temple. We live in our lands, a citizen of our land, and we build a temple which replaces that temple. We have no aspirations to return to Israel. And we know that in the European countries in America, Zionism was controversial for a long time. And originally, most religious leaders were anti-Zionists in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, including in the in reform movement and in the conservative movement. Um, so this is a blessing that lots of uh, Jews in that modern era had trouble with, and they either dropped it or they replaced it. Okay. Bernie, do you remember what you grew up with? Do you remember what, what was the version of this blessing that you grew up with? You're muted. You you have to unmute. You're still muted. You are still muted. I grew up at Baron Hirsch, which was Orthodox. Okay. In, in Memphis. So in Memphis, they said it straight. And how about in Riverside? What did they say? Do you have any idea? San Bernardino, the rabbi uh, was the son of a conservative rabbi in L.A., and he went to HUC, but we always had a conservative mincha because there were a lot of Orthodox people that came after the war, and they always had sort of a separate minion, but not daily, but, you know. Right, just- right, right. So you have to look at various, you know, union prayer books from 1930-whatever to see, like, what did they do in Temple Emanuel in New York, you know, for the people who came to to Daily Minion. Um, so it's, uh, so this, this blessing now launches us into a whole series of blessings about, I would call it, restoration, okay? National restoration. Um, so step one is gather in the exiles, and then we'll see step two, three, four, okay? Javi, can I tell a brief story? Yes, please tell a story. So probably some of you know that Kibbutz Galiot is a name of a street in many Israeli cities, and it's also um, the name of an intersection in Tel Aviv when you're coming from Jerusalem on on uh, uh, road, uh, the, the highway coming from Jerusalem and turning onto the Ayalon, there's, there's that intersection. It's changed a bit now. Um, but when I used to drive from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv every morning, I'd get into a traffic jam at Kibbutz Galiot. And my Hebrew wasn't so good back then. Not so good now, but it was even worse back then. And my knowledge of the liturgy was more superficial than it is now. I used to complain to my colleagues at work about how I hated getting to Kibbutz Galiot, and where the heck was that Kibbutz anyhow? I like that. It's a Kibbutz. Right. A good, a good unknowing pun. Yes. Okay. Any questions, comments, thoughts about this bracha? And of course, we could ask questions about, you know, we're American Jews who are comfortable in America, and most of us are not planning Aliyah, and, and you know, how do we say this, and what does it mean? I have to say anytime, certainly, I you know, I'm in... Israel, and I walk around the street, it's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, there are people here from all over the world. And how did diaspora Jews relate to this idea of kibbutz galuyot in a moment where we all have the option to make aliyah, but probably most of these people who I'm seeing in the windows 
are not going to make Aliyah and have no intention thereof. Uh, how does it speak to us? So I just want to leave the question hanging. You don't exactly need to have an answer to that. Right. We, we do not need to discuss that right now, but I just want to raise it as a question. So our group, Jewish corporate restoration starts with bring us back from exile. Number two. Next one. Leadership. Hashiva Shoftenu Kivarishona. Um, restore our judges as of old. Vioatsenu Kivatchila and our counselors as originally, as of old. Vasermi Menu Yagon Vanacha. And please get rid of our suffering and groaning. So this seems to imply that part of our current suffering and groaning has to do with the people who are called Shoftenu and Yoatsenu, our judges and our counselors. So this seems to be drawing a contrast between now, current condition, in the time in which the bracha was written, and some uh, ideal, or some might argue idealized, then, in the past, and then there's an implication for the future, right? Because it's hashiva, right? Restore. So we're living in a time when something about our shoftim and yoatzim, something about our judges and ministers, counselors, seems, this seems to imply that they are a part of our yagon v'anacha, our suffering and groaning, right? So God, we're saying, please restore our judges the way they were then, right? So they were then, and we hope they are again in the future, but they're not now. We're in the middle where we're suffering and groaning. Umloch, umloch aleinu ata Hashem levadcha. And Hashem, you command form, Moloch is command, uh, rule over us yourself. So now we actually have two sort of different ideas. One is we want our leadership. And again, you can say, you, you can ask, does this mean strictly speaking judges or does this mean authorities? I'm going to put it that way. That's a, that's a good word, authorities. Because Yoatsenu clearly are not judges. Okay. It means counselors, right? Um, and, and, if anything, if you think of like, what is the referent for this in biblical literature? What are they thinking of when they say counselors? You know, most of the people who were referred to in the Bible as counselors, um, they had to do with they were the, they were the king's council. You know, they didn't have a senate or a or a house or a Sanhedrin, right? Yet in biblical times, the king had advisors, and they were called yoatzim. And their job was to give Eitzah, right? Which is from the word Yoetz. It's to give advice. It would be like, you know, what they would call in, in, in Britain, I guess, like the King's Privy Council or something like that. Remember when, uh, when, uh, Achashverosh, they got to figure out what to do. What are we going to do about this, um, uh, this, uh, uh, rebellious queen who doesn't listen to? Then he counsels with, <coughs> sorry, with his seven counselors. It's his privy council. Hold on a second, Jeff. We'll come, I'll come to your question. Um, so, so Shoftim does mean magistrates, 
and Yoatzim does mean advisors, of whom the only ones we've heard of in the past are the king's counselors. So it seems to mean the authorities, right? Right. But now we say, and Hashem, we want you to rule over us by yourself. So these are actually, I want to point out, two different and you could argue slightly contradictory ideas, right? We're saying we want the authorities like they used to be. We want to, we want our leadership to be like that old time leadership. But then we're also saying, God, we want, we just want you to be the king, the sovereign. I want to try to make it as, 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 um, as ungendered as possible, the sovereign. Because you rule, and you rule over us, how? Bechesed uverachamim, with faithfulness, kindness, love, and rachamim, compassion. Okay? So what kind of sovereign are you, God? Again, many people, many contemporary people are put off by the image of God as sovereign or potentate. It connotes in, to them an image of power or domination. But here it's clear that why do we want God in this bracha to be our sovereign? Because God rules with kindness and compassion, which again seems to suggest a contrast with current rulers, current in the time of the bracha. Vitzadikenu bamishpat, which can mean vindicate us in our court cases. It could mean judge us righteously with just, I see an English translation here, with justice sustain our cause, which is a nice uh, Englishism, um, which isn't exactly what the Hebrew says. Baruch HaTashem, Melech Ohev, Stakau Mishpat, sovereign who de- loves or desires, loves, uh, righteousness and justice. So all of this seems to imply, if we put it together, that the, the what we get nowadays, we don't get staka umishpat from our leadership. We don't get righteousness and justice. We get yagon v'anacha, groaning and sighing. Okay? So the condition of justice or leadership nowadays is that the people groan and sigh. They don't feel that their leadership is executing justice. And so we say, Hashem, restore the good old justices, the good old judges and, and authorities. And you know what? Actually, even we want you to be our sole sovereign, okay? Because you rule with chesed and rachamim. All right. So the idea is that chesed and rachamim leads to staka umishpat. We sometimes think of mercy and justice in conflict. But what we're saying here is that God rules or judges by means of chesed and rachamim, loving kindness or faithfulness and compassion. And that this is what makes God the God of ohev staka umishpat lover of justice, righteousness and justice, or fairness and justice, or righteousness and fairness. There are all kinds of English ways of translating this. So God, who rules with compassion and loving kindness, this is what defines God as a God of justice. So again, it's very clearly not 
mercy or strict justice, the way we think of, you know, classically in rabbinic, it's like midat hadin or midat hachesed, right? God's attribute of strict justice or God, God's attribute of mercy, which are sometimes intention or balance or contradiction, and they need to be harmonized or one needs to rule over the other. That's what we're kind of used to. You know, you've heard, you've heard that sermon lots of times on, on Yom Kippur, right? But um, with, you know, rabbinic sources, uh, God, God stands up from God's throne of, of justice and God goes sits on that God's seat of mercy and then God judges us. But that's not quite this idea, right? This idea is actually through the qualities of chesed and rachamim, God is the God of tzedakah umishpat. It's not that there's a tension or a conflict, okay? Because God is God of chesed and rachamim, that's what makes God the God of tzedakah mishpat. So there, it's not a conflict between midat hadin and midat harachamim, the attribute of strict justice and the attribute of mercy. It's a somewhat different view of that. Okay, now I'm going to pause. Jeff, you first. Uh, I just I just find it interesting uh, that. I mean, who prays for judges to return? I mean, I think it's it seems to be almost a specific avoidance. It's not saying bring back our king. <laughs> who remembers who wants to pray for all the judges to come back? Right. It, it seems like something's missing here. We'll get to the king later, by the way, in a later bracha, right, where we'll pray for the king. Right. But here it's about right. So so you, if you, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, change your question. I'm gonna broaden your question. Um, what are the, what are we, what's the result that we're asking for? Whatever the means is, the means is the judges of old or the counselors of old or God alone to be the judge. What is the outcome of what we're asking for? Like in healing, I know what the outcome is. The outcome is my loved one will not be sick anymore or will not die. Right. That's clear what the outcome is. Um, I don't say I don't say in Rifa'enu, please don't let X die. I say, please send healing to X. And it's clear what the outcome is that I want. OK, um, I don't say in the bracha for sustenance, please put money in my bank account. I say, please make it be a good crop year for me. And it's clear what the outcome of that will be, right? So what's the desired? So in all these brachot, there is, I'm going to call it an infer, I don't know, all of these brachot, but many of them, an inferred outcome, right? So what's the inferred outcome? So the inferred outcome, which seems to be a contrast with what we have now in the bracha. So the inferred outcome is justice, fairness, Right now, do you want to broaden it to say good political leadership or am I broadening and reading too much into it? Joanna says, Joanna, can you say aloud whatever it is you put in the chat? Yes. So uh, there's a bit of a discussion where on the previous bracha where I I wrote in the chat a comment about um, interesting to me that Chofar and Ness also have an implication of um association with war and um and here it's um 
just the opposite. And I had used the terms freedom slash peace. And um, Larry was questioning the usage around like peace. Where do you see that? And I, so I just wrote back that I agree. I was stretching. Yes. Implying that, um, you know, true freedom only exists when there's peace for everyone. If there isn't peace for everyone, then there isn't true freedom either. Right. And also just to say, um, Again, the sages assume we know the Bible, so they assume that when they say in gathering of the exiles, right, led got, led by a standard, that they assume that you know that Zechariah said things like, echad ushmo echad, and that day God will be one and God's name will be one. Or that Isaiah said, uh, all the nations of the world will look to Zion, Kimitzion, Tetzay Torah. So in all of the prophets, there is a universal era of peace. In some of the prophets, there's a universal era of peace after a giant cataclysmic war at the end of time. It's a giant cataclysmic war, and then there's the era of peace. Okay? And of course, Christianity picked up on this in a big way, early Christianity, the giant cataclysmic war. Um, And if I may, if I, um, as long as I have the floor, um, another thing that's running through my head, I'm often in this space for some reason in high holidays and not necessarily every time I dive in the Amidah, but there's um, a stretch of brachot here that um, always take me back to the patriarchs and, and, particularly Abraham, right? So starting with Rafa'enu, I'm in, you know, circumcising the circumcision and needing healing after that, you know, that they were agricultural people who needed that, you know, blessing for the land. Yeah. Um, You know, the in and out of Israel and being brought back and forth. Um, And tzedakah and mishpat is, you know, powerful to me, you know, back to the Lot story. And that's why Abraham was chosen, seemingly because there weren't other people around who possessed those qualities. If I can interrupt you just for a moment, right, because it says in Genesis, God says, I chose Abraham because I know his descendants will do tzedakah umishpat. Yeah. That's the association. Go on, Joanna. And then, um, you know, and then, you know, the next bracha around eliminating evildoers, um, you know, you're back again in that whole Lot, Soda, Stom, and Amara story. Um, So I don't know. I just find it interesting. I don't know if I'm like stretching here and pulling out straws, but, you know, we open with a bracha for the avot, and then there's like a whole series of brachot that we recite here that like sort of bring me right back to that. Why? Yes. So I'm I'm not sure uh, that that is the pshat. I don't know that there is the pshat. And I think, um, again, um, uh, loaded, I don't mean that in a bad way, in a good way, loaded words are quoted by the sages, by the group mind that composed the Sidur, because they are meant to give you all sorts of associations. And there, there are multiple associations and they, and they will resonate on multiple levels. Yeah. Right. Um, and you forgot to say for, uh, in gathering of the exiles that Hashem said to Abraham, you know, mm-hmm. look, look, Even look better. around you, Yama Vitzafona, Vakedma, Vanegba. South, north, east, west, because I'm going to give all of this land to your offspring. Right. 
Even better. Okay. How can I forget that association, right? right. Just a quick story. Yes. Um, Avi was my Machon Rosheda, and for whatever reason, there was a tradition at Camp Ramah that um, when we read that line um, during the summer in the Prashad Shavua that that crops up in during the summer, Machon spent... Ufaratsta is what she's saying, Ufaratsta. Machon spent all of Shabbat marching around camp with a dictionary open so that they could count how many times they've sung it to supposedly, because we kept very accurate records, be the number of times that Mahon the previous year sang those words. Correct. I remember that. I haven't thought of that in a long time, Joanna. Thank you. Or from the perspective of outsiders, it was so annoying that these pe- these campers kept on walking around the camp singing Ufaratsa all the time. And when are they going to stop? They're driving us crazy. Right. Um, correct. They would sing Ufaratsa over and over again. Yeah. So let's come back to the kings and the magistrates. What are your associations with this bracha? What do you get out of it? How does it speak to you? Anyone? Uh, Open to anyone. It's open to anyone. Oh, for me, it's clearly after we've brought the the exiles together, it's a call for government. It's a call for organization of society. I don't see it simply as judges per se, but rather, um, like in um, Yitro, I think it was in Parshat Yitro, where Yitro tells Moses that he's got to appoint people to uh, to help him out here. And this is saying that the first the first order of business after you get together is get yourselves organized as a society, because you can only do justice if you, in fact, are organized. You need some sort of rule. We can't have a complete individualistic um, approach to uh uh, to, to the world. Right. So in a broader way, it's about government, by the way. And part of classic um, rabbinic theology is we went into exile because of bad government. In a specific way, it's because B'nai Israel sinned, but they sinned because their leaders allowed them to sin or led them astray. So, you know, classically, the, the, the uh, destruction of the first temple is brought as a punishment because of idolatry, but it's because there were leaders, there were kings who promoted idolatry, okay? Second temple for baseless hatred. And there's a whole history of the degeneration of political leadership in second temple periods, which I will not go into the history of that because it's very intricate, right? But basically, um, bad government is what led to exile, okay? So... We have get in gathering of the exile. We need, by the way, if government is too modern and concrete a word for you, then I'm going to say leadership. Okay. But it's clear that this is not leadership in the sense of your rabbi giving sermons kind of leadership. This is um, um, political and judicial leadership. Okay. So it's uh, in a very specific, concrete way. It's about Shoftim and Yoatzim, magistrates and counselors, which is the ancient form of government, right? Again, when Achashverosh promulgates a an edict, Achashverosh discusses it with his counselors who say, we think you should do such and such, and then the king decides, and then they promulgate an edict, and that's government. That's how government works. That is their equivalent 
of what we today would call government. That's what the word is. Okay. Um, it may not look anything like our government in the Western world, but that was their government. So I think it is fair to say that this is about good government. Hashem, we know you would provide, you are the only one who would provide perfect government. Okay. Our government nowadays calls, causes us yagon va'anacha, moaning and sighing. We want a government that is infused with chesed and rachamim, loving kindness and compassion. And this is what's going to lead to tzedakah and mishpat, equity and justice, something like that. Other comments? Meyer. Um, I just also. You're in and out. Um, your, your audio is in and out a little bit. Judges. Yeah, Meyer, Meyer, we can't hear you. Sorry. It's all right. Your audio, your audio is in and out. He's going to move to another room and try again. We all go through this all day long for 15 months. (laughs) Let me, let me hop on my left. Can you hear me now? Go ahead. Give me a second. All right. I'll pick it up. Okay. Go ahead. Leave it. Go without me. Okay. All right, or maybe next week. Any other thoughts? We're, we're, I want Marlies to, is I, waiting. I want to get to bracha number three, but we're definitely not going to get to that today. Sorry, who is waiting? Marlies. Marlies. I didn't see your hand. Sorry. Go ahead, Marlies. Uh, good morning. Um, just a couple thoughts. One is I can really associate this with my own desire for uh, more integrity in government, say, shall we uh-huh. say? Uh-huh. And then uh, it also uh, brings up sort of the danger of um, or just knowing no politician is going to be perfect. And that's really not uh, just the danger of idealizing anybody or yes. really looking right. to them to. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. And it's sort, it sort of contained <coughs> within the contradiction of the Rachel. Like we really want the better government like of old, but we know actually, God, you would be the only perfect judge. Okay. We, we know that any human judge leadership, even the ones of old, which is better than the ones of today. When we stop and think about it, we know they wouldn't be as perfect as if you were the sole sovereign. Right. So there is an, a, a, an awareness implied in there that we know that no human system of government, justice, administration, whatever you want to call it, leadership would be perfect. Right. It, it's sort of like, Oh, would that we could live under a world where Hashem was the sole, uh, the sole Shofet. Right. Meyer. Thank you, Marlies. Again? Yeah, Marlies, is, is there anything else you want to say? Or, or, or that, yeah, thank you. Great. Uh, just quick, uh, just, uh, I'm sorry. So um, uh, two things. One is, is that there's also, when we had judges and kings in the first temple, there's recorded instances of corruption. And I think this is, and I think that that's uh, as much a comment about that as well at any given time, even with the temple and with uh-huh. the, you know, with the ideal. The second thing is that we also had uh, hundreds of years in, in our history in which there were no kings, but our government was run by judges, um, where they were sort of the, um, primary, you know, you're saying, you're um, saying within the Jewish community. So- I'm saying actually before kings. Before kings. Okay. Yes. 
in human history. Got it. Okay. In in Jewish in in the, in, in the Jewish national history. Oh, you're talking about the Shoftim, the chieftains who are called the judges, right? Right. Right. So one commentary I read says, "Oh, this is referring to the, actually to the Shoftim, the era of the judges in the Book of Judges," um, which struck me as, on the one hand, obvious because they're called Shoftim. On the other hand, ha, huh, is that really what the bracha means? Right. We we want we want to go back to the era of like Samson, like that was good because of but, course in the Tanakh the Shoftim are criticized a lot, the era of the judges, as being imperfect, and that Davidic kingship was more perfect. And, and the point is the judges have been a constant, uh, whereas kings have not. Um, so we've had judges with kings and judges without kings. Yeah. Um, and I think that they have been administrators of, of clearly justice is their job. Yeah. And justice, when it's um, perverted, is, um, you know, is, is to everyone's detriment, you know, the complete society and to every individual. And I think so I think this is an inherently critical sort of thought um, as we consider how how key justice is to the fabric of any successful society. Which takes us uh, takes me a little bit back to what Larry said that one way of, of uh, looking at this is it's about government, meaning regardless of what system of leadership humans have had throughout much of human history, we assume that always or most of the time there was some system of leadership, right? However tribes were governed, they were governed. Whether there was a king, there was a, whether there was a council, whether there were elders who settled disputes, regardless of the system, there always was, in fact, and again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm saying too big a statement. I don't know if this is true. I have to go back to you know political science 101. You know, there always was government, some system of government. Some said, you know, there were human beings. They had disputes. People said it's not fair. His cave is bigger than my cave, or she stole my cave, or he took my rock, or whatever it is they said. And there had to be some system beyond those two people of adjudicating, whether that was the families, the grandpas, the elders, the village strongman, the elected officials, whatever it was. So this is a prayer that whatever that the government needs to be to rule with compassion and equity, not to yield a situation where we're groaning and moaning. We're suffering. The implication seems to be we are suffering under bad government. We long for an era when there is a better government and a future time when there will be better government. And we know, Hashem, that the only perfect government is you. It's kind of one way of putting it all together. It's about politics, maybe. Okay, I'm going to end on that note at 8.52 p.m. A.M. A.M. Uh, so we'll go on to the very confusing, troubling next bracha next week, God willing. And um, have a good day. Stay safe. Be healthy. I guess we're in California. We're supposed to go back to wearing masks indoors now when we're back with groups of people. So stay healthy and be Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.